today's episode of that song from that movie is coming up after these messages. Hello, I am Christy. And I'm Leighton. And together we are a new podcast on whiskey tasting called Married, Married Mash. Mash. Where we discuss life, family, and pretty much anything. Yep, and Leighton brings a new whiskey for me to try. Will we clink it? Or will we sink it? Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And remember, always drink responsibly. Indeed. Her Majesty the Queen has decreed today's episode as completely classified, which means it's for your ears only. So it's time we get on with today's episode of that song from that movie. You don't get anything for a pair. <laughs> In this game? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey Through the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. I am your new Bond girl host, Dietrich, and we're joined by the man who will bring you an ice cream after you put your clothes back on, Alex. <laughs> as long as the ice cream is a magnum. It's, good. it's a bold choice, actually. I think it doesn't melt as quick, magnums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeps it encased in chocolate. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with the weather recently. Well, did you see recently it was announced as like the most popular ice lolly in the UK? It's like, it's not an ice lolly, it's a chalk ice. Yeah, it's a chalk yeah, ice on a stick. Is, we yeah, established yeah. this last time. <laughs> an upper class chalk ice. And we're also joined by the man who's heading straight for your heart, Ben. You know, I prefer the ice cream, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing when you get to the heart, Ben? Uh, well, it depends what the operation is. Depends what you've come in for. I don't really know. Not really my field of specialty, I must admit. I like how you sort of decided that it was like a... Medical, Like yeah. you were a doctor, yeah, like you were a medical, yeah. <laughs> no, no romantic involvement whatsoever. <laughs> Going for your heart to, you know, take it and uh, give it to someone to transplant. Yeah, who deserves it? How are we all today? Unless you want to do Ben's weather report first. <laughs> it's been too hot. It's been too hot. I must say, it's definitely been too hot. Yes, it has. I actually had to sleep on the sofa. It was just shocking. And it was hot as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, it might have actually melted a magnum. Two things are unrelated. I'm, no, I'm more of a knobbly bubbly man myself. Not a fab. I, I, as a kid, I was a big fan of the fab. Although I was a big fan of two thirds of the fab. Once it got to the ice, lolly, it's pointless. Mm. It feels like it needs to be the other way around. <laughs> yeah, you're not looking forward to anything. <laughs> the chocolate bits last. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like eating your Yorkshire pudding first on a Sunday dinner. You wasted it now. You have to build up to it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I always enjoyed, enjoyed a mint feast, personally. Do you remember feasts? Oh, they were good. Yeah. I hate mint yeah. chocolate. I hate mint really? ice cream. Yeah, I just feel like I don't, I don't want to be refreshed by my sweets. <laughs> it's not even worth a debate, Ben. You're just wrong in this in this uh, category. Has anyone actually seen any good movies recently? I watched The Matrix. So, so yes. That's good. Yeah, it's been years since I've seen it. It still holds up. It's still a really good film. Followed up with a couple of the Animatrix shots as well, which also do hold up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love those. They did a uh, digitally remastered version of The Matrix last year or something for its anniversary. Yeah, like a 4K restoration type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, annoyingly, I bought the Blu-ray box set only to then find out that it has an audio problem, like an audio syncing problem. So we're watching the first Matrix film and you get about 45 minutes into the film and you start to go, hmm. The audio's not quite synced up here, and by the end of it, it's like a good 30 seconds out. <laughs> it's terrible. Trinage yeah. is going, stop trying to hit me and hit me. <laughs> <laughs> she actually, it's so out of sync, she does hear. 
<laughs> I've never seen anyone move that quickly. You spoke faster than your lips could move. <laughs> Why you only buy the Criterion release? Well, luckily, it had a second English audio option for Dolby True Atmos, and suddenly that fixed the problem. If anyone out there is thinking of buying the Matrix Blu-ray, the non-4K version, then my recommendation is to change the audio settings before you start. I love the idea that someone's like in like Computer <laughs> Exchange or Tesco, literally listening to this podcast in their ear. They're just pulling it off the shelf and then slowly pushing it back. Did you watch any films? You know what? I actually don't think I have. What? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I think I'm watching a lot of Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. It's just that. Um, <laughs> for, for a reason. You're not one of the suckers that have paid for Britbox, are you? Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> we did watch um, How to Build a Girl. It's the film adaptation of that Caitlin Moran book. It was okay. I wouldn't have said it was great. What's the name of the lead actress? She's the lady from Book Smart, and she was in uh, oh, yes. Lady yeah, Bo- Beanie, Ladybird. Beanie Feinstein? Yes, I think she... Is she Jonah Hill's sister, possibly? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I did not know that. But she was um, doing a Birmingham accent. <laughs> and it is re- it's kind of off-putting. Like, she's good in the film, but the accent is really off-putting. Because sometimes she kind of gets it, but sometimes she's just way off. It's a bit like if either of you have seen Anne Hathaway do a, a Leeds accent in uh, one uh, day. Yes, in fact, <laughs> my my wife was watching that film last week and we both pinpointed it. I like uh, Keira Knightley doing a British accent because even though she is English, it sounds like she's American doing an English accent. It's quite a skill. <laughs> it's, yeah, we, I watched. Oh no, I did watch the Imitation Game, so I have watched the film, and it just sounds like it just sounds like a really. Terrible British accent done by an American. <laughs> Wait, you could say she was losing the imitation game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she took about James Bond. <laughs> uh, so today's episode, we are looking at the James Bond songs of the 1980s. But much like last time, before we go into the 80s, let's look at 70s again. We've got the results of the polls. In semi-final one, unsurprisingly, Live and Let Die dominated. Completely expected. <laughs> Second place was Diamonds Are Forever, so there were your two finalists going through from that semi-final. Unsurprisingly, the man with the golden gun was eliminated. It was a single vote from Lulu. <laughs> In the second semi-final, another landslide. This time, nobody does it better over Moonraker. 85% of the vote. Also <laughs> expected. Is that, the, is that the, the most dominant poll so far? Yeah, by far. Yeah. Of any of them, even like the movie or song ones we do each week. <laughs> 85%. And in the final... No shock there. Live and Let Die won again. 56% of the vote. Second place was Nobody Does It Better with 25% of the vote. And then bringing up the rear, Diamonds Are Forever with 19%. That's quite dominant again, isn't it? 56%. Yeah. 1% less dominant than Goldfinger was the decade before. That was going to be my next question. So yeah, thank you. Mm, Is that a a sign of the final poll, maybe? Okay, so um, that's the 70s rounded out. So now let's move on to the 80s. We're going the same order as last time, so Alex, over to you. Yes, so the year is 1981, so we're quite early on in the 80s. The film is for your eyes only, and it's the 12th Eon Bond film, and it's Roger Moore's fifth film. It was a directorial debut of John Glenn, who I think would go on to direct quite a few of the 80s films. So in terms of the plot, after the sci-fi inspired Moonraker... The uh, producers wanted to return to sort of the earlier. Well, this is what they said. They said they wanted to return to sort of the grittier earlier bonds, but I'm tr- I was struggling to think of what those were. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything pre Roger Moore, I guess, could be considered gritty. Yeah, but they, but comparison. we had this conversation last time, didn't we, about live and let die because they were like, oh, we were trying to make it more realistic, and it seems like they were trying to do that again with this one. 
But I mean, in terms of the actual plot, James Bond attempts to locate a missile command system. It doesn't sound immediately that realistic, does it? And and it says he's entangled in a web of deception spun by a rival Greek businesswoman. Wait, his rival? Is he is he invested in in Greek? Yeah, well, like, I, didn't, I, I can't remember the, the. I haven't seen this film for a very long time, so I can't remember actually what how it plays out. But that that was the description from that I found as of the synopsis. It, it, so it made it imply that it was, she was a rival to him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what capacity. I don't know what investments he has in Greece. So that's that's the film. Like a gritty financial <laughs> drama, like Margin Call. So the song itself is is also called Fioras Only, and it was written by Bill Conti, who is actually a TSFTM alumni. Do you guys remember from which song? Yep, Rocky. Gonna fly now. Exactly. He also wrote quite a few of the songs about car- you know from films, because I think we mentioned this one in that the Rocky episode. Yeah, I think one from the Italian job. As That's well. right. Yeah, it was the lyrics written by Mike Leeson, and it's performed by Sheen Easton. So what do you guys think of this song? I mean, I think this might be a theme of the 80s, but <laughs> it's not particularly memorable. I don't know, it, does, it doesn't feel like it does anything new. You hope with the, I don't know, with the 80s something comes along that's a bit more dazzling. And it's just very, it feels very samey, very safe, and just a bit blah. Yeah, I echo those sentiments. I would say this song, more than any other song we've done so far with the Bond ones, and maybe even coming forward, this is the one it feels like most likely that your grandma and granddad would go, oh, I'm just going to have a little dance to this one. <laughs> a little bit of a boogie. <laughs> this is my kind of tempo. <laughs> just do that sort of slow jig side to side where their arms move and their feet not so much. Yeah. I think weirdly, even though it's 1981, to me this one sounded really quintessentially 80s. I'm not saying it's a good song, but I think it has like an unmistakable sort of 80s sound. It had like that, uh, do you know, like Vienna by Ultravox. It had that sort of heartbeat yes, in the background, yeah. and then it had like that sort of pulsing, sort of human league-esque synth. And like the vocals were a bit like early Madonna or Kylie Minogue or something. It was like a perfect... Yeah. Co- but I mean, it was like, it was worse than all of those things, but it was kind of like <laughs> the problem of all of those things. But yeah, it's the homunculus of the of, of the yeah. great. It also has that sort of like like most eighties sort of songs where it's like stripped back, but it's also overly produced at the same time. That's probably the best way I could describe. <laughs> I think that might again might be a similar theme where they've got this song, and it's almost like someone when the studio was closed at night, and someone broke in and opened up the recording, and like those pianos that we had at school with like the DJ buttons, and someone just started adding like. Or something, you know, just like very sort of, yeah, very like craft work, you know, sort of little synth numbers. That's what all of these sound like. Yeah, I think it is definitely a theme that runs through most of these, isn't it? How many Sheena Easton songs have been compared to craft work? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's the first time. I guess I just think of craft work as like the original synth men. Maybe this predates craft work. Because like when I said all those things like Vienna and uh, like Ultravox and Human League and Madonna, etc. This might be before all of them. <laughs> no, Kraftwerk, Kraftwerk started in 1970. <laughs> oh, okay, they were going way, way earlier. I think that's why they are considered like the first. Would you like to know some facts about the song? Oh, please, please. Here's with them. So, as you can possibly imagine, Sheen Easton wasn't Bill Conti's first choice. He wanted someone who was a bit more Bond style, as he put it. He wanted someone like Donna Summer or Dusty Springfield. Which may have added something to it. Just Shirley Bassey again. (laughs) I'll get Shirley back. Although she probably wouldn't do another one after Moonraker. So Easton, the reason why she ended up doing it is because she was recommended by by United Artists, the studio. Conti was unimpressed by a debut album, which was called Take My Time. 
he agreed to work with her after meeting her in person. But so what I really want to get onto is the opening tiles of this one. So Sheena Easton is the only singer to date to be seen singing the theme song in the opening tiles. That's exactly what I wanted to know. That was the exact <laughs> fact I was looking for. There you go. It's just weird. Like, why, why is she in there? <laughs> it, it, I couldn't really find out, like, why they decided to use it, only that she kind of had the look that they felt fit. And, like, Roger Moore actually said of her appearance that it was more sexy than any of the Bond girls. He's <laughs> <laughs> just on the prowl, isn't he? Yeah, it? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One interesting fact is that they had to sell a taper to a chair so that she wouldn't move when they were zooming in on her lips during the title credits. <laughs> like waterboarding her. Well, yeah, basically, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Get the sell tape. But she's not the only one that features in a film because I'm sure Madonna later does feature in Dying of the Day, doesn't she? Yeah. yeah but she I couldn't does. think. I couldn't think of any other. Uh, is Simon Le Bon running up the Eiffel Tower in View to a Kill? <laughs> Music, music video. But actually, that's a good point you bring that up, Ben, because this was the first Bond song that had an official music video. I was going to ask that. MTV has arrived, and so Sheena Easton on your TV screens. So I think it became like a feature from now on. I think for this one, and possibly even the next one, there isn't much of a video. It's kind of like them singing in front of a wall with scenes from the film. It's not like the Duran Duran one. <laughs> so yeah, it, this, that, this was the first one. So a couple of firsts in here, even though the song maybe isn't that memorable. Another thing to mention, as we've said already, Bill Conti was the one who wrote it, which means no John Barry. Do we know why? Oh yeah, um, tax. Tax reasons. Tax evasion. <laughs> yes, still tax reasons. It was yeah. tax reasons yeah, again. Was, yeah. Probably, probably John, continue. Pay your taxes, John. <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking like, oh, well, that's a continuation, but it isn't because he was the one who did Moonraker, so... <laughs> But yeah, tax reasons was was the stated reason, so he didn't get to go to Greece, unfortunately. It was there. It, well, yeah, yeah, there. that's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe he got the instructions wrong when you say have your tax haven offshore. He went offshore. <laughs> <laughs> just left all doesn't take his money with him just left it all and he's gone abroad <laughs> or maybe yeah maybe they just weren't glamorous enough maybe he's been everywhere in the world yeah I mean Greece Greece is pretty glamorous yeah but he's probably been by now oh yeah I mean to be fair he's a man of the world isn't he he's pretty much been everywhere yeah. once you've been to the moon in Moonraker you know <laughs> where else <laughs> where, 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 where could compare I've only got one more fact about the song and that is that it reached the top 10 in both the UK and the US, but it was a number one in the Netherlands. <laughs> big, fans, big fans of all, big Sheena. But well, the thing with Sheena Easton is that she was like a contemporary pop star, which is kind of an interesting choice because I feel like for a lot of the songs we've covered so far, they've kind of not really gone down that route. I think maybe the only other example I could think of was Nancy Sinatra. So it, they were obviously trying to go for something. And I think actually that's reflected in a few of the 80s songs they've sort of picked more contemporary yes. acts although when we go on to the next one they kind of went away from that immediately afterwards but then i think <laughs> <laughs> they do then go back to contemporary eyes so so yeah that's for your eyes only i don't know if you guys have got anything else no it's no it's a myth <laughs> you're not huge fans i can tell but it's in my it's stuck in my head <laughs> unlike the song for octopussy so Octopussy, which, you know, might be the greatest name for a Bond film. I don't know. We can have a debate about that. <laughs> so the film's two years later, 1983. So it's the 13th Bond film and Roger Moore's sixth. It was again directed by John Glenn. Yeah, so the synopsis for this one, there's a general stealing rel relics from the Soviets <laughs> and an <laughs> Afghan prince who's invested in a plot to disarm the West. 
if they did try and go back to normality in the last one, I think maybe they've stretched out again here. Normality. Although, although maybe th- maybe this does have some relevance nowadays. I don't know. <laughs> but it's out, when when I saw the, the words Afghan prince, I was kind of a bit like, yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. <laughs> the reality they kind of tried to touch on has clearly gone away. The song is All Time High, which was written by John Barry. He returns. <laughs> yeah, back from his uh, holiday, air quotes. Lord of the Music has come back. And the lyrics are written <laughs> by Tim Rice. So Tim Rice. Oh, Tim Rice. The Tim Rice. I don't know. It depends. He is famous for writing. It must be. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Yeah. Can you feel the love tonight and a whole new world from Aladdin? I was thinking, like, do I, should I know Tim Rice? Is he someone else? But yeah, that, if that's who you're thinking of, is that Tim Rice? Yeah. The song was performed by Rita Coolidge. So, come on, guys, what are your opinions of this song? Um, I can imagine this being played at your caravan park when you were a kid, Alex. <laughs> it's that it's like, it's like that dingy turn at the club. The lights are down. There's those three-colour strobe lights sort of wailing around. <laughs> Men propping up the bath after their swift halves of John Smith. <laughs> this is what I imagine. Circling smoke from the cigars and cigarettes before the band, just rummaging around at the ceiling. This is what I think of when I hear this song. <laughs> it it is it does have like a dirty feel, doesn't it? Like it's just a bit, uh, it's just a bit grim. It, it does feel like a, a working men's club in the nineteen seventies or something. It does, yeah, yeah. How about you, Dee? With this one, I think the best way to describe it is to quote John Barry when speaking about the man with the golden gun and say it never really comes together <laughs> because it, it sort of feels like there are three separate tracks playing at the same time but not in sync. So you've got like a saxophone, you've got vocals that don't match like the beat. It's a bit of a mess. <laughs> and it also sounds like every single time Rita Coolidge goes for for an all-time high, she hits an all-time <laughs> bum note. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. It's, it's funny, actually, you mentioned about the song Sound Like 3, because Tim Rice was still writing it as they were recording it. So it's a classic one. <laughs> it's just like every time John Barry's involved, something falls off a cliff. <laughs> how often, I mean, you might tell us this, but how often do they get the first person they want? <laughs> well, I didn't see any other anything about them trying to get someone else for this. I think they did struggle to get anybody. And they didn't really know who to go for. And it was actually Barbara Broccoli, who is part of the Broccoli production dynasty. Yeah. Yeah. She was the one who pushed for Rita Coolidge. She was like quite a big fan. But people thought it was quite an odd choice because her peak of her career came up several years earlier. So whereas we were saying that Sheena Easton was contemporary, Rita Coolidge was kind of completely back the other way, which it said that Barbara Broccoli just kept playing records to her, to her uncle. And eventually he was like, yeah, that's the sound I want. <laughs> <laughs> the music video makes me laugh because it's very Bonnie Tyler's love wind sweats. There's like there's just a wind machine in the background with silk curtains blowing and she looks off into the yonder at who I assume is Roger Moore holding onto a train or a plane or whatever he's doing in this film. Uh, it's, like, it's, the one where, it's the one where he's dressed as a clown, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think there are a lot of aerobatics in this one, hence the, the all-time high. I think that's where they came up with the name. They, they struggled. I think... <laughs> it, it doesn't look like he's enjoying himself on that all-time high, though, Roger Moore. <laughs> Which one was it where he was bouncing up and down on a trampoline? It wasn't Live and I Die, was it? It was one of the other um, ones. No, it's By Who Love Me. By Who Love Me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you were saying he was grimacing in that one, Ben. Well, he's a few years older in this one. <laughs> I suspect that they were reusing footage from that <laughs> opening credits for this one. Quite probably. Because there's a few of the actions I'm like, that's exactly the same. It's too similar. <laughs> Cutting corners and trying to make it a bit cheaper. Yeah, well, I mean, it does feel cheap, doesn't it, this one? I think, like, what I love is, like, 
there's a line just before the opening credits where he like parks like, I can't remember what he parks like a small jet or something into a petrol station and he says, he says like fill her up and then there's like this like really like lame sax note that just comes in and it just hits perfectly it's just so terrible it sounds a bit like sitcom or like a daytime soap opera oh god I just think it really epitomises like the, the sort of campiness and cheesiness of the Roger Moore era films this one Echoing roughly what you said earlier, actually, the Washington Post, so you're in company there, said it was inane with silly lyrics sung with lethargy. Would you uh, concur with that? Can't remember what the lyrics are to the song. To uh, critique that part, <laughs> there's, there's an absolutely great line, uh, which which is just it's just typical Barry, really. I know he didn't write the lyrics, but I can I can sense I can sense him in this line. I'm in so strong and so deep. <laughs> That's just so Barry, isn't it? They tried to write a song about octopus, but obviously they struggled to fit that in. <laughs> and I think they just came up with a few ideas and they liked All Time High because it kind of worked with, like I've said, the air about X and aeronautics in the film. One other interesting fact about the song is that number 75 in the UK charts is the lowest charting Bond theme. The most memorable use of this song is in the movie Ted. <laughs> I don't remember that. Mark Wahlberg gets on stage and sings this song terribly. Is this in Ted 1? He's trying to win back Mila Kunis' character and says, this is from our favourite film, Octopussy, and he starts singing this song. (laughs) No, that doesn't doesn't really sound familiar now that you say, (laughs) this is from our favourite film, Octopussy. (laughs) And somehow he still hits a better note than Rita Coolidge does. (laughs) (laughs) Womp (laughs) womp. Okay, so moving on to my movie, which is well, I didn't make it, but <laughs> moving on to what I've been given to look at, which is A View to a Kill. That was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I hope that was picked up on the microphone. Let's see if it happens again. A View to a Kill. No. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, so A View to the Kill was released in June 1985, um, and it's another one for John Glenn. Max Zorin, played by Christopher Walken. I've got here on my notes, hold for Ben's impression. You know, for years, I've wished I could do a Christopher Walken, but I have no idea. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) The cow jumped over the moon. (laughs) Max Zorin is a menacing microchip manufacturer who has developed a scheme to exterminate all of his Silicon Valley competitors. James Bond is going to stop him. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I like how you do this every time. Which, Johnny, when, when I read that, that's quite ahead of its time. Yeah, it's just except it's how he does it that isn't modern. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the film that was famous for him having a running double to run across rooms. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? Yeah, sure, I, that's yeah, right. Well, he was fifty. He was fifty-eight, wasn't he, or something, when he finished? And he wasn't. It's not like Daniel Craig, where he's a fit fifty-something. He was. He was Roger Moore. I think he has the most amount of time laid on the bed. <laughs> he really does look his age in this one, doesn't he? I mean, I think this has to be with one of the worst Bond films. <laughs> it, it's one of the best worst ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is one of the lowest on Rotten Tomatoes as well. No surprises. If I was a good host, I would have written down the percentage, but I didn't. So you just have to take a word for it. Originally, Max Zorin was not going to be played by Christopher Walken. It was actually officially announced that it was going to be David Bowie. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah. Although I do like that Christopher Walken is in a Bond, so I would I prefer David Bowie to replace someone else. It's just funny that he like went from like being in Deer Hunter to being in this. 
it, yeah, is that is it a similar time? A bit later than Deer Hunter. It's a bit. This is it's, it's probably about ten years later. This, but still, that that's the image I've, I have of him in my head, being in 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 Best Picture winning Deer Hunter, and then being in this. If you want to know the reason why David Bowie gave up the role, is because he felt he was spending too much time watching his stunt double do something. So maybe he also had a running stunt double. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so he actually filmed scenes for it. Literally, his quote was. I didn't want to spend five months watching my stunt double fall off cliffs. <laughs> the role was then offered to Sting, <laughs> who also turned it down. Well, why did they want a musician so bad? Oh, actually, I wonder if David Bowie or Sting, the plan was, if we get them in the film, we can get them to do the song. Oh, that would have made sense. Because I feel like Bowie should have done at least one. Or yeah, he track. could have done it. Yeah. But then we wouldn't have got the great song that we do have. Wait, yes, yes. Yeah, let's just move on to the song, because the film is not great. But however, the song... Is amazing. Oh, yes. <laughs> so it was released a month earlier in May 1985 and was performed by the British New Wave Act and a personal favourite of mine, Duran Duran. So, yeah, I think we all it's love great. this song. It's great. So I want you to both just... Actually, we'll that. 10 minutes. <laughs> just go for it. Just just uh, have a audible orgasm on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Roger would probably enjoy that, to be fair. Yeah. Yep. This song just really reminds me of my um, Grave Zen Micro um, MP3 player, <laughs> because it only had about like 20 songs on it at the time. And they were all sort of songs that one of our friends had sent us who was clearly really into 80s music at that time. It's like this and like the fine young cannibals. <laughs> so yeah, every time I hear this song, it reminds me of that. I think this might be the only song on my iPod that was from a Bond film. Maybe this and Chris Cornell. When you put it on your iPod originally, not, but not the Chris Cornell one so much because of when it came out in terms of our age, did you know it was a Bond song when you put it on your iPod? Uh, yes, yeah. I mean, my dad was a big fan and the, the name of the song, but <laughs> the video as well is just it's amazing. <laughs> well, you, you're getting ahead of yourself there, Ben. Oh, sorry, You've got to sorry, go through the sorry. formation of the song first. <laughs> That's my favourite part, just that like... <laughs> Uh, so this was the last song to be recorded by the classic lineup of Duran Duran for 20, 20 years? Really? Until, year two, in, for, until 2001, so was that, that's... Uh, so, it's kind of ever. What year was this film, D? 84? 85. 85. I think it's two years between every Bond in the 80s, which is quite cool. I'll take Super your word cool. for that. <laughs> Super cool. 81, 83, 85, 87, 89. Nice. They've really got into a rhythm now, haven't yes. they? Yes. I wish I'd have thought about this earlier before I mentioned the thing about David Bowie and Sting, but the history of why Duran Duran was picked for this song is pretty interesting and very John Barry. Oh, right. yes. <laughs> okay, so Duran Duran were chosen to do the song after Duran Duran's bassist John Taylor drunkenly approached Cubby Broccoli at a party asking, when are you going to get someone decent to do one of your theme songs? Was <laughs> he talking about Rita Coolidge there? <laughs> she, is she there? Is she right there? He's just pointing at her. <laughs> this one well, and Sheena. Yeah, actually, actually, it was uh, it was Cubby Broccoli who was the dad of Barbara Broccoli. So he was the one who was the who chose Rita Coolidge in the end to be the person who sang the song. So I mean, clearly it worked because Cubby Broccoli decided that he liked his moxie and <laughs> sent him. <laughs> Sent him to our Lord and Saviour, John Barry. <laughs> Heaven be thy Barry. Who decided, let's try it. So Duran Duran and John Barry all meet up. Is this why it was the last was sort of final? <laughs> John Barry started planting the seeds. It was him and Cubby Broccoli made this plan to get revenge for this comment to split up Duran Duran. 
<laughs> or maybe you just took them on too wild a night out and <laughs> they forgot they were in a band. Yeah, I mean, more likely. That's more likely straightforward. Yeah, so they, they all met up, uh, Dran Dran and John Barry, got insanely drunk, yeah. and in their own words, composed absolutely nothing, but had a fantastic <laughs> night. <laughs> Which was it? Russia and Russia with love. Was that the original one where they was like, "Oh, we sent him to Turkey and we didn't, we didn't have <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, the following meetings must have gone better. Uh, I've got a quote here from Lebon, Simon Lebon, regarding, work, regarding working with John Barry. <laughs> My headphones are falling off. It's that bad. I, I, I enjoy about this quote as well from Simon Lebon is that you really get the impression of what he thinks of John Barry. I can't do an impression of Simon LeBond, sorry. I can do it in a... In Christopher a... Walken. <laughs> Christopher Walken. Do it. No, 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 no. Do, do it in your Tom Jones impression. Right, okay, so this is Simon LeBond. As Tom Jones. Tom as, Jones Tom jo- as Tom Jones. <laughs> he didn't really come up with any basic musical ideas. He heard what we came up with and put them in an order. That's it. That's the quote. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good impression there. Yeah. Thank you. And it really does sum up John Barry, doesn't it? <laughs> so yeah, so going to Simon the Bond, John Barry did nothing. They just wrote everything and then John Barry just put it into a, an order and went, there you go, that's the song. <laughs> it seems so strange. Like The formation of what is maybe one of the best Bond songs ever made is a bassist getting drunk and having a go at one of the producers. The band then meeting another producer and getting smashed. And then the band not liking the producer, and yet we've got a view to a kill. <laughs> Rock and roll, baby. So this is the only song in James Bond history to get number one in America. Really? None yep. of the, the none of the recent ones. That's surprising. The closest the recent ones have got was Skyfall, and I got to number eight. If one of these songs had to be number one in America, a view to a kill is a, is a good one to pick. Oh yeah, I'll go with that. You know, uh, yeah, I mean all time high. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the, an old time low in the chart as well. <laughs> it's not even true. <laughs> Can we talk about the credits for this one? Because uh, there oh, are yeah, some enjoyable yeah. things in this. I think I've got Neon Paint written down, which is very 80s, I think. But also, Woman Dancing Out of Fire, in yep. time with the song, of course, with the famous lyric. She does come out of the fire, but it's dance into the fire. Oh, it's dance into mm-hmm. the fire. That's true. But there is a scene just later where a woman is skiing in fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And there's also a woman made of ice that melts, which which I liked. <laughs> a lot of elemental messages going on here. A lot of creative flair. Yeah, well, a lot of things related to fire. I mean, is fire a key component of the film? I mean, obviously it isn't the song. Um, and I the mean, opening credits, but I don't, I don't remember. Probably explodes a few people. Well, I mean, based on the history of how the song was written, I don't think they were concentrating too hard on what was actually in the film, because I don't think Duran Duran would have seen it at that point. And John Barry clearly wasn't getting involved with any of the actual musical aspects of it. <laughs> Typical. Typical indeed. This song was nominated for a Golden Globe. Mm. Best original song, but it did lose to Say You, Say Me by Lionel Richie. Yeah, it's a good song as well. It is a good song. So we've got past the formation of the song. We've got past uh, how well it did in the charts and how well it did at the awards season. Let's talk about the music video. Well, hey, yes, yes, yes. Brilliant. Uh, Who let them up? (laughs) Who paid the admission fee? Secret agents, Ben. But you still got to pay the fee to get up. They just sneak past security. Yeah. They walked around the metal detectors. <laughs> yeah, for, to be fair, in the eighties, yeah, there was just no security, was there? Do you think they charged Duran Duran as well? To go mm, to yeah, but no, not just Duran Duran. The the other guy, <laughs> <laughs> the guy that's clearly shifty as. <laughs> they probably were too scared to ask him. 
Yeah, maybe. It's a it's great. It's so eighties. A lot of popped collars. A lot of popped collars. A lot of running. Yeah, yeah it must be knackered. France. Love <laughs> 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 oh, France. I mean, not France wrong. is a very eighties. I mean, Simon Le Bon. Yeah, it's not Simon the Bon. <laughs> I think the best part of this video is the really badly CGI camera that's sort of moving around the screen. Yeah. It's so it's so 80s it's just perfect so 80s everyone's flock of seagull haircuts <laughs> yeah. it doesn't look like they even closed the Eiffel Tower that day like <laughs> <laughs> they just turned up with cameras and all these people in a drawn drawn video and never know they probably yeah. said to like put like stop them like with the rope or something just like wait 10 minutes while we just make this <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. video yeah they have to and you, you can't even get to the top by climbing you have to take the lift the lift Halfway. <laughs> I like the idea of them all being in a together. Drowned around in this man. <laughs> so that brings an end to part one of our look at the James Bond songs of the 1980s. We'll be back next time with the remaining movies, our best and worst, and possibly a top five from Ben. Yes. Goodbye for now, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. You eat anything? You eat anything and everything. <laughs> we have many examples of this over <laughs> over 20 plus years. <laughs> See, no denying it. Move on. No. How out of date were those Easter eggs? <laughs> oh, months. Months. I think it was, it was bonfire night. Yeah.